NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Happy September, everybody. Uh, welcome to the third back to school episode of The Right Time. This is a special production of the National Writing Project in collaboration with Penguin Random House Books for Children and Teens. I'm Brian Ripley Crandall. I'm the director of the Connecticut Writing Project at Fairfield University. And today, it's a bit of reunion for me as our teacher guest <laughs> took part in the Louisville Writing Project with me <clears throat> a couple years ago. I'm also here to co host the show with the one and only incredible Tanya Baker, director of the national programs for our network. How's everything going, Tanya? Thanks, Brian. Uh, things are pretty good considering where we're living and how we're living right now. I'm thinking a lot about all the teachers who are on their way back to school in, in an unprecedented way, in an unprecedented time. And I'm glad that we can share with them these great opportunities to meet and talk with um, young adult authors from all around the country. And, this week, I am especially excited. We're welcoming Kim Johnson, author of This Is My America, and Louisville Writing Project educator Cynthia Shelby. Kim and Cynthia, welcome to our show. Thank you. Excited to be Thank here. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Let's see. As usual, I'm like, what am I doing? Uh, Kim Johnson. I am introducing Kim Johnson. She held leadership positions in social justice organizations even as a teen, and she's now a college administrator who maintains civic engagement throughout the community while also mentoring Black student activists and leaders. So this is My America is her debut novel. It's our third debut novel in a row. I feel so excited to have books hot off the presses going to our teachers' attention and into their hands. This book, This Is My America, explores, explores racial justice against innocent, I'm sorry, racial injustice against innocent black men who are criminally sentenced and the families who are left behind to pick up the pieces. Kim is living her best life in Oregon with her husband and two kids. And you can find her at caseyjohnsonwrites.com and follow her on Twitter and Instagram at caseyjohnsonwrites. Kim, we're so glad to have you here. This may be the most beautiful cover, 2020. <laughs> Let me just look at this, look at that, okay. Tanya, it's my, in my fifth year of teaching in Kentucky, I met the incredible Cynthia Shelby and we bonded right away. She was amazing then and continues to be an exceptional human being in the teaching uh, world today. 18 years ago, Cynthia, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Cynthia Shelby is a middle school assistant principal and loves working with students and teachers. She's been a language arts and social studies teachers, a literary, resource teacher, a literacy resource teacher, advocate for young people, and a Louisville Writing Project fellow, woo -woo, 21. Woo -woo. For over 20 years, she has worked as a teacher and mentor, providing avenues for young people to increase their love of reading and writing. Through numerous, uh, through numerous poetry cafes, book clubs, and professional development sessions, she's helped teachers provide that love in their classrooms as well. Her passions include writing, speaking, and teaching. She shares her writing as a workshop facilitator and spoken word artist um, she's, she is a spoken word artist because she performed that in 21 and um, throughout the community of Louisville and across Kentucky. And she's also working on social media platforms. It's my pleasure to hand it over to Cynthia um, and you can give us the opening writing prompt and we can hit our writer's notebooks. 
All right. Hello, everyone. It's so exciting to be here with you. And we are just going to have a wonderful time talking to Kim about This Is My America. And so for your writing time today, This Is My America tells the story of Tracy Beaumont, a 17-year-old girl who writes letters seeking justice for her father on death row. For three minutes, we're going to do this prompt. Tracy is crying out on behalf of her father, an innocent Black man on death row. And your prompt today is, how is her voice symbolic of the cries across America and our world for racial justice today? We'll take three minutes and we'll start now. About 30 seconds left. So before we, we're gonna hand it over to Cynthia and Kim for the interview, but I'm just gonna rift a little bit off of what I wrote about only because I, I get to cheat and I've already read this book. 
And I started thinking about the voice of Tracy is amazing because she pushes against the danger of that single story that gets retold over and over and over again, too much of the injustice in the United States. But I think what, how Tracy's voice comes alive is through Kim Johnson's craft. I mean, she is such a believable character and such a, a, a beautiful young woman who's advocating for all the right things. And I was realizing as writers, like, that's our job. Like, how do you, how do you pen a character so that you can bring a voice that needs to be heard into the world? And that's what this book achieves. So Cynthia and Kim have a great interview. We'll see you at the end of the show. Thank you, Ryan. All right, wonderful. I'm so excited, as we said, this book is amazing. Uh, this is My America. If you don't have it, you need to get it because it is life-changing. It provides so many things that are indicative of what's going on in our country. Kim, thank you for joining us today. And thank you, uh, we're, we're going to get right into this right now. I'm just so excited. Our first question is, what representation does Tracy's voice serve in a world where many are silent regarding systemic racism and or mass incarceration? I think it's really connected to um, the writing prompt. Um, to me, she represents the cry of my students that I, that I work so closely and intimately with um, who want to be heard, um, who want their lives to not only matter, but the potential of their lives to matter. Um, and when I was, you know, crafting and thinking about Tracy, I really wanted to utilize the voice of activism. And because for me growing up, um, being a young activist and then now working at university, so working, um, working in higher ed for the past 20 years and seeing that gener every generation and cohort of students that come through, how their voices um, change and you know adapt to what's happening and how they really want to be heard and we often don't leave spaces for them to be heard um, a lot of that was really what i wanted to touch upon in this story and in particular obviously for this story the lived experiences of, of black people in this country not only just connected to the carceral state of crim our criminal justice system um, but just how uh, racism um, just seeps into the nature being of communities all across the country that often go unaddressed. I appreciate that. And I love that you said about the activism, you know, more and more young people we're seeing today taking up the mantle of um, activism, whether it's in the streets, it's protests, it's talking to legislatures, um, we've got to have that uh, avenue for them. And I think this book allows them to see the avenue and see how they could be viable in sharing their voices. So thank you for that. Um, our next question is, what was your compelling factor in writing the text to begin with? The most compelling thing that I felt, there's sort of two pivotal moments um, for me as I was trying to think about who I want to be as a writer and what are the kinds of stories that I wanted to tell was when my own personal sense of activism and, and need, urgent need to want to do something around Black Lives Matter um, matched my interest in writing young adult stories that have sort of often elements of mystery and thrillers associated with it. Um, you know, it was a right around 2014, 2015, um, where we saw Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, um, later on Sander Bland. Um, and so much of the media was very focused on a particular kind of lens 
that I felt was often the sort of the story of America where it was limiting with what the stories were told. Um, you know, negative perceptions, I think specifically of Trayvon Martin or even Eric Garner, which was another sort of pivotal moment for me wanting to write this story, was it sort of looked at these other negative images of them as if those were reasons or excuses that their life didn't matter. So many of my students that I was working with were working on activism. Um, and it was those kind of moments that I felt like there was something more that I needed to do. When I thought specifically about this book and, and why focus on a wrongful incarceration as a way to tell sort of the, the sort of the groundwork of the story, um, it really was after reading Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy. Uh, he's someone that I followed for for many years. I looked at the advocacy of his work. Real, to me, he's he's our true American hero, our modern day hero of our times. Um, and when I read his work, the way that he he wrote about his not only his life but the people that he touched, he wrote about them with humanity. And I felt like that's the most compelling thing that you can do as a writer um, and a writer who is you know working towards being a literary activist, which is what I'm what I'm striving to be. Um, and, and I felt that, you know, utilizing a story around an innocent case, that um, it could be a crucial way to um, shine a light on our criminal justice system. Because, you know, for my particular case in the work that Brian Stevenson does, if someone can be innocent and go all the way up to where they actually have a death sentence, where as a state, the state is saying that they're going to take away someone's life, um, regardless of whether you believe in the death penalty or not, you should be 100% sure. And the fact that, you know, there actually are cases, one in nine, that we find are wrongfully, um, in, wrongfully incarcerated cases of innocent people sentenced to death is that there's something wrong with this system. And I felt like if I could expose that, talk about that in a familial perspective, where there's a family who was fighting for justice, that it could be a way to open a lot of readers to see themselves in it. What would I do? if I was in this situation. And now let's look at the layers of race and how this impacts over generation. And um, you know, for me, that's really how I wanted to be able to tell a story to connect the thread that I felt that media and the conversations that people were having around specifically police brutality were leaving out so much of the reality of how entrenched these issues are um, that specifically impact the black community. Yes, that's so powerful because what you said is that it's a novel, but it, it, it touches on all of the realities that have been going on since 2014. And as, as I read the text, we are fighting for justice for Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky. And seeing that and the juxtaposition of this book, I was like, the power that it goes into that to see our young people in the streets that are fighting and not just people that look like me, but we have so many other allies that we did not before. And so, um, again, powerful, compelling, gritty. We thank you for uh, pushing us to allow young people to see what's going on and allowing another way for their voices to be heard. And, uh, so again, thank you. And then the next part, you touched on this just a little bit just now, but we'll go a bit deeper about Just Mercy. Uh, the book has been compared to Brian Stevenson's book uh, with an innocent black man on death row. Uh, where are the, you talked about some of those similarities, but maybe what are your unique perspective that this America, this is my America gives that Just Mercy did not? 
Yeah, I think, you know, with Just Mercy, it focused a lot on the um, uh, the individual going through uh, the experience and a little bit about the family and maybe some of the um, the things that impacted them in the family. And I think, you know, what I wanted to build out because I'm a young adult writer is when I was reading Just Mercy, I immediately thought about um, the people who have been incarcerated, what do their sons and daughters, what are the experiences of their sons and daughters, and then obviously the sort of interconnected family, and, um, you know, I really wanted to be able to, to tell a story from their experience, and I, I felt like it just was not, it's not represented, we just, we don't see it in general, but we specifically don't see it from, you know, the, the, the children's perspective about what, what is it like to have this mark then set upon them that will always be there for something that, you know, the family member didn't even do. And even if, even if in the, in the case that that, that did occur, um, how are we actually creating opportunities and spaces for them to live a full life? Um, regardless of who they're connected to or who their family members are. And I think that's a little bit of, of what I really wanted to um, blend out. I also, you know, for me being um, a, a lover of mysteries and thrillers and um, de detective series, I, I really actually wanted a, a journey for readers to go on to um, as a problem solving way, as a way for them to feel like if they saw something that's wrong, that they could be part of solving it. And, and I use it as a tool. And, and so thinking about craft and writing, um, because I wanted to reach all these different spaces that I, I found that by using a mystery opened up the kind of readers who would read this story um, so that it's not just people who are interested in a social justice story or, or wanting to touch upon issues around you know mass incarceration or a criminal justice system is you know that uh, you know people want the truth to come out you know people want rights um, to be, you know, corrected if they are wrong. And I felt like a mystery would be a way for a reader to open in and immediately start caring about wanting to solve what really happened. Um, and so I use it as, as part of like a craft tool, not only to keep a, a reader sort of like being a, a page turner, but be connected and, um, you know, I also have always had a fascination of, of the law. Um, when I was a young person, I thought I want to be either an FBI investigator or a psychological profiler. That was that was one of my aspirations. And then the other was I was being a lawyer. And um, and I think that's probably why I, I you know, really sought into looking at actual true cases, especially after I read um, Just Mercy, is because I was fascinated by the law and how could you sort of get to a place and how do our legal systems work in terms of events, investigations. And I, I wanted to provide that, you know, in my writing so that, you know, someone, um, could kind of experience, well, what would it like working, trying to, you know, appeal a wrongful incarceration case? And what, what does the system actually look like? And, you know, giving, you know, people a closer first person narrative about not only the, the toils and terminations of a, of a young teen, but what does it mean like to have all these added layers about their experiences? So I think those are ways in which I wanted to honor Brian, the work of Brian Stevenson and have it connected to some of the other pieces and um, by including a young investigator, Stephen Jones, in the story, um, to me that also was sort of a, a signal and way to honor Brian Stevenson because I, I thought of him as a young man and then I thought about, you know, if he had a son 
that had to live under his legacy of all the things mm -hmm. that he did and how committed for, for that kind of work, how committed that you have to be, you know, I wanted to be able to sort of even imagine with myself is like, what kind of sacrifice and commitment does it actually take to, um, to want to take on wrongful incarceration cases that often take 10, 20, even 30 years to, to actually free innocent people if they actually are able to do it. So. And you spoke about all the layers. You've got so many layers in this text. It's very powerful. Not only did you talk about the mass incarceration, about family, but you decided to throw, throw in another little nugget and you decided to talk about interracial dating. So can you tell us why you decided to throw that little nugget in there along with all the other wonderful pieces you have in there? Yeah, again, a, a layered writer. I, I wanted to touch on a couple different things. The, the most important thing for me was that, you know, in working with young people who are very active in activism, you know, they're fighting for rights, they're going on protests, they're organizing, they're doing all these other things, but they also are like crying on my shoulder because they had a breakup or they got into a fight with a friend and, and our, our young people are so, people are so complex. And I thought it was important that the story wasn't just about the um, the visceral pain of, of a family, but you actually have more things built out. And so it was so important to me to represent the experience of a young person that d doesn't just have one thing that they're sort of thinking about and navigating. Um, I also felt that there's a lack of representation for, for Black girls and Black women uh, to only be um, cast as a strong person who doesn't need a partner in life. If you look at media representation, film, television, a lot of even books is that they are these independent people that don't need a relationship and aren't in a relationship or they're a side character. Um, and, you know, for me as me growing up, I wanted to feel like I could be loved and have a relationship and was valued in the ways that I saw other women around me who were other races that were able to be seen as a love interest. And so, you know, in, in a lot of my young adult work that I write, you know, even if people feel like, oh, that doesn't fit to talk about, you know, you're such serious topics, to me, it's still so important to have that representation. And then the last is I wanted that freedom of um, a Black teen girl to be able to choose what is the relationship that she wants and how does she want it, who does she want it with, what are the things that she thinks through. And I thought, what better way than to not only have an interracial um, dating relationship that we often don't see represented in media for, for, for Black women to, you know, someone of, an, of another race, in particular, um, a, a white person, um, but also just the navigation of being able to choose and, 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 and connect with that what that, um, that looks like. And the last is that I didn't want a story where it was just about the a Black person's responsibility that they have been impacted by, by racism and then they have to find their way out. We live in a interconnected society where there is a responsibility by all people who live in our community that they should be helping their community and be involved in their community. And I directly think about work of anti-racist work and how to be anti-racist. Um, and that relationship to me, that close relationship between Dean, who was the, who's um, one of her very good friends, Tracy's very good friends, um, the close connection of their relationship is that he had to go on his own journey of understanding what is his own responsibility, what are his own bias that he has, how can he own up to it, how can he express it 
um, and how do they navigate that relationship where there's a lot of work that he needs to do that's not her responsibility. Um, and, I, and I felt like having that be included in the narrative um, could touch on so many different layers and that readers can maybe see themselves um, in a lot of different characters regardless of their, their race and identity. So I really wanted to sort of open up and touch on these layers and have representation in a lot of different ways. That's exactly why um, educators are going to be eating this book up because I know my kids will love this because it's so much intrigue and layers and they'll be able to see themselves in it. And I think that's what makes a powerful book is when you can see yourself in it, no matter the race, no matter your background, and you can see yourself in it. And we're going to move on to this next question. On page 271, you wrote, never imagined something like this could happen so close to home. But deep down, this feeling is familiar. It runs through my veins, the blood from every generation before me passing down this fear coated in my DNA. This was after a cross was burned in the front yard of the Beaumont's home. How does this speak to the trauma that our students face on a regular basis? Yeah, I wanted to represent the past is always present. It's just a new iteration of, of what we've seen in the past. Um, I think the things that, that this new generation, this, this younger generation coming through are experiencing the world in different ways, but they're also very similar. Um, the way in which we raise our children or raise people in our community, um, we raise them from the past that we know and the decisions that we make and how our communities are. And, and that to me is sort of a demonstration of generational trauma, which is really what I was talking about, was that generational trauma, um, how that transponds, um, you know, even looking at research between, you know, a mother and their child, that sort of, um, that DNA transference of, of, of issues and pain and how that can impact um, from birth the experiences that people have growing up. Um, and I really wanted that to be, be represented, that there's this sort of, a, you know, automatic burden, um, journey, experience that someone has to go through um, that's just based on their race, based on their history and their knowledge. And our young people are facing that now. Our young people right now are growing up in a world um, where they are seeing a reckoning of race in our country that has not been addressed from the previous generations before us. Um, our ills as a society to sweep racism under the rug and not address that the systems that we have in place um, aren't just rules and regulations and policies and that people need to follow. They were set up oftentimes under the legacy and the history of racism and it has transponded and changed over time. And so, you know, I think that that messaging to me for young people now, they're facing what we never addressed, uh, what we never resolved. Um, and, and now it's not just their responsibility to address it, but adults are looking at it now and, and awakening. You know, there's a lot of America who was awakening for the first time because we're under a pandemic that are paying attention to the cries that have been resounding over hundreds of years. You're absolutely right. The pandemic made us take stock of what's real and what must be taken care of right now. And so um, 
this is a very powerful way for us to be able to look at this and be able to think about what is the trauma that our children are facing and how do we deal with that? And in our schools, we're doing a lot more talking about trauma, but at this juncture, we had not talked about the trauma of racism. And so it forces us to take a look at it and to deal with it and educators must be part of solving that problem. And our next piece uh, on page 369, 370, I wanna talk about Ms. Evans for a moment. She says, my God, what did I do? And Tracy reflects after hearing this, seven years we suffered because she was afraid to get involved. Passive enough to watch this happen because it wasn't her responsibility. All this time, Ms. Evans held the answers to my daddy's freedom. How is this reflective of white privilege and why did you add this to the text? Yeah, I, I get it to that for whose responsibility. Um, you know, I think for so, so much of our society, um, when we deal about uh, inequities, uh, issues of justice, uh, it often is looked at as that other person's problem, and it's not our, our role, um, and that you sort of like expect that the system will work itself out, but if the system is, is built not to actually work itself out um, for particular populations, then who are the ones that can take on a responsibility? And, and not to go into any too much spoilers over this particular example, um, but it is, it's a reflection of our community and it's a reflection of our role. And I think just connecting back to your previous questions about, you know, young people in our schools and, and knowing that I'm specifically talking to teachers, um, it is, you know, the, it's the adult's responsibility and thinking specifically of teachers, their responsibility to recognize what is their role in terms of influencing and impacting particular populations that we know have been marginalized, um, for a lot of different reasons. And that's looking at who are we allowing um, to come into their own uh, without looking at it as a behavioral issue or looking at it as, um, you know, maybe the way that they're expressing themselves is because of a lot of different factors um, or, you know, looking at things that it's a judgment of others. And that's what Mrs. Evans does. And again, without going too much into the text, thinking about early on her relationship, um, she's Dean's mom. Uh, she has never really welcomed Tracy, but in particular has never, has, has really not welcomed Tracy as Tracy became a woman into her own. And it looked like maybe there was a potential um, relationship sort of budding between her son and Tracy. Um, and she uses a lot of coded language, um, you know, to Tracy and to Tracy's family. And, uh, there, and she should know better. And I won't talk about why she should know better, but she should know better. Um, and I just felt it was so important to have places of responsibility. And also that there's times where you can own up to it. Um, if you make a mistake that it's not too late to learn, to grow, uh, to make change. Um, and I think, you know, for me as an educator, for me as someone who's constantly learning and growing, I wanted to have that represented in the text because I think for me as someone who has hope, um, I have to have hope uh, that I wanted to at least leave space for growth uh, in the text without alleviating it and making it too easy uh, because this work is not easy. Not at all. And as a literary activist, I love calling you that, 
How do you believe that we go beyond this text to impact our communities in our last few moments? Yeah, so, you know, in, in um, the examples that I use in my book, I try to use a lot of different ways about how people can be involved and make change. Some of that is, um, you know, with Tracy running Know Your Rights workshops. Uh, she does that on her own. She finds a community center that she does these things regularly. Um, there are really simple things within our schools, within our communities um, that, that you can do to help educate people and advocate people. The other is letter writing. So I use letters as a way for Tracy in this story um, to demonstrate not only how she's feeling and thinking and being able to sort of, you know, dig deeper into her, but there's a desperateness that she's writing in these letters. And I wanted to use that model as it actually can be very powerful to write a letter. You can write a letter to your legislature. You can write a letter to your school board. Um, students can write letters to their teachers. Teachers can write letters to their, their principals, you know, their community. Um, that there's a lot of different ways that you can use your voice. Um, protesting is one of them. Protesting is a, is a disruption on a current way that things are done. People don't like protests, then they listen to why people want, you know, change to happen. Um, but that's just one action that people can do. And, you know, I hope that with my text, uh, I use a lot of resources, my, my author's note, that I include in there um, provides, you know, I think a lot of rich detail for people to not only understand, but maybe want to learn more. And again, going back to being an educator, there's so many resources that you can touch on and have you know, have sort of a deeper understanding, but you have to become comfortable with having these conversations and you can't have them without actually doing it over time and sort of getting over yourself. And, and I think with my text, what I really try to do is actually put a lot of things in front of you that you kind of have to sort of like react to, um, you know, in a way. And I think oftentimes we don't give space to do that. And I think within the schools, um, and within our communities that the more that we can do that, the more that we can have the conversations and the more that um, in particular for um, for people who are non-Black is to be the one to actually learn and not expect to be taught. I think that's important. There's a space that you have to learn and listen from other people, but you, you have to go to that work. You have to actually do that work yourself to have a better understanding. And I'm hoping that my text can be combined with a lot of nonfiction work um, that people can do and some anti-racist work um, that people can do so that, you know, regardless of whether it's, uh, you know, some of the themes in my book, that it sort of opens up the conversation um, to think about how to actually take action and, and make action. Because I leave the book as a call to action. Um, I leave a book for people to linger. Well, what does happen to the family? Um, with the hope that you're still thinking about, wow, are there things in my community that we should actually be advocating for um, to make change? Because even if you resolve this one issue, there's other issues are all connected. Um, what can I do in my own capacity as an individual to make change? And that's what I hope to leave, you know, leave readers, leave educators, read, read young people. Um, read adults, you know, who are reading this work, so. And I love it as we wrap up that we've been able to say their names. You know, we had George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. And in This Is My America, you've reminded us to pay attention to what is going on, to pay attention to what's happening, 
and make sure that we take up the mantle to make sure as educators that we make a difference and that we help our children share their voices. Thank you very much, Ken. Thank yeah, you. Thank you, Cynthia. Before Cynthia gets to the last, uh, the last writing question, um, I just want to pitch this for Tanya, Cynthia, and Kim. I love the literary activists, and I, I mm. love that you said, no, you're right. And, and of course, this is the right time. And I was thinking, what a great workshop for NCTE 2021 in Louisville, Know Your Rights, W-R-I-T-E-S. And I'd be really interested in hearing how Cynthia has evolved as a writing instructor all the way up into administration versus like you know me as an English teacher in Louisville then Syracuse and now here in, in, in Fairfield and with a book like this that we didn't have when we we didn't have this book but now we do so how do we use a book like this to help students to know their rights uh, that was a phenomenal interview and I thank you what's the last prompt <laughs> uh, it's up to me hold on <laughs> Oh, what has happened? There we go. And thank you all for joining us today. This has been my true pleasure to uh, spend time with Kim and Brian and Tanya, and we will leave you with some writing. Tracy used her voice and her writing to gain justice for her father. Your closing question is, how can teachers create space in their classroom for students to share their voices on matters of systemic racism and social justice? Brian, was that your last word? I always have lots of words, you know, that I can talk <laughs> for. I'm just like, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, when we were off air, I was like, did they call each other and rehearse this? Because that was one of the most fluid conversations. And I was looking at the time saying, I don't want this conversation to end. I want to have them over for dinner and I want to continue this because it's, it's an important conversation that more and more families and teachers and people in the United States need to be ha having. And so I just, I just say thank you from the bottom of my heart and deep in my soul. It's such a great conversation. Thank you. I really appreciate being involved and um, just, just it's been an honor to, um, you know, not only be connected to Cynthia now, but um, Brian and Tanya and whoever watches this, you know, later. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that, um, that there is just a continued impact from it. So thank you for the opportunity. I just want to join Brian in thanking you both, Cynthia and Kim. I, um, I took Cynthia's writing prompt and wrote a letter to myself about like, what is my responsibility? What is my activism? What can I do? And sort of drew the conclusion that I could write letters. That is the best, you know, I can educate myself and I can take a stance. And one of the most active things I could do would be to write a letter every day. So when we came back, to the end, and you mentioned that, Kim, I wanted to just say, good, maybe I'm on the right track. <laughs> um, I am really thankful to you, Kim, for your work uh, that this book exists in the world and can be in the hands of teachers and students, and thankful that you uh, came on to the right time to talk to us and um, our Writing Project Network, as well as everybody else in the world who'll have the opportunity to see this, but we're really happy to host you and to be part of putting this, books in the, this book in the hands of teachers and students. And Cynthia, uh, we couldn't have had such a lovely conversation without your insightful reading and then preparation and um, the, the 
uh, real genuine rapport. It was a real joy to listen to the two of you talk. We are clearly all on our way to Louisville, so we're needing the world to write itself before November 2021. I always close by thanking our listeners as well. If you are new to the writing project we would like to connect, please follow us on Facebook and or join our Facebook community, which is a very active community of writing teachers, or go to nwp.org and sign up for our monthly newsletter right now so you can be informed of upcoming events and opportunities like this one. You know, after you listen to this interview, you don't want to miss another. Um, thank you, everyone, and uh, be safe out there in September. Take care. Have a good school year. Have a good school year. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.